Merrill Memo with Matthew Dickerson from Dubbo Regional Council. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's edition of the Merrill Memo. Well folks, is Dubbo Regional Council about to put the operational management of our pools out to public tender again? We'll also be discussing how are our building approvals going? Are we being affected by the rise in the interest rates? And finally, what's happening with the Macquarie Conservatorium? Is there an obligation for Council to find them a new home? Hello there, Matt. How are you? Yeah, very good. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for coming along again, as usual. It's been uh, really well received. I'm getting really good feedback. In fact, after Park Run, I had a very young member of our community come over and say hello, and I've been listening to your oh, podcast. Oh, nice? not that lovely? Yeah, so obviously very dedicated parents in relation to... Excellent. Getting up on those civil matters of Council. Well, very impressive. Right. Yeah, very so impressive. It's probably a good indication that their parents are interested and engaged in what's happening on council, the fact that one of their children yeah. is listening to the podcast. That's Isn't good. I love it to hear. That's yeah. wonderful. Yeah. You know what, Matt, I was reading during the week where, you know, it's been 20 years since the fire took place there at Dubbo City Council. It's, 20 years. Yeah, it's quite fascinating, isn't it? 20 years ago during the week, the Civic Admin Building, the building mm. on Church Street there, there was a fire started early in the morning. Right. And essentially there was a break-in, a bit of vandalism, and they the kids that broke in there actually started some fires in there. So you can imagine mm. alarms going off, staff called in, and, and when the staff were coming in to see what they could do or just turning up for work in the yeah. morning, then they couldn't actually go into the building. and. Of course, now you've got the ability with remote access, mm. you could probably continue on your operations fairly easily. But yeah. back in those days, a lot of things are still on paper. No, no, And that's hard right. to pick up and move. Now, as it turned out, and I wasn't on council at the time, yep. I was simply a, a bystander, just a citizen of Dubbo. Mm. And I remember reading about it in the paper and hearing all about it. But at the time, council had actually bought the old Dubbo High building. Now, they bought that for some future purpose, some right. sort of cultural purpose. So this is all just prior to this happening, does it? Or? They'd already bought the building, okay. but they hadn't done anything with it. So right. it still looked like the old Dubbo High right. building. Okay, yes. And so council staff would have been, Tony Kelly would have been the general manager at the time. The council staff were there and they said, well, what are we going to do? We've got to work out something to mm. do. And we've got to work out where we can actually run the council from. Mm. So they very quickly reset up. Dubbo High to be the council building. Now, they mm. weren't sure how long it was going to take initially. You don't know how much damage is done by a fire mm. sometimes because the fire might do a certain amount of damage, but even just putting it out mm. can do more damage. Absolutely. And then structurally, you've got to make sure that the building's yeah. okay. So after that analysis, they decided it was going to take a fair amount of time to actually repair the building. But then council took advantage of the fact that they needed to be work done, so that was when a third floor was added to the building. Oh, so this is all part of the, the reconstruction, I suppose. It was the opportunity, you know, to, to reset it and to reconfigure it. Yeah, that's right. Mm. So the, I'm going to say third floor, it used to be a ground floor and a first floor, mm. and so now there's a ground floor, first floor and second floor, so three mm. floors including the ground floor altogether. Yeah, yeah. So that was added on at the time, and obviously work had to be done just to make sure structurally that was able to cope with that. Mm. But effectively, it meant that council were not operating from that building for almost two years. Was it two years? Yeah. Wow. Now, I got onto council 19 years ago, approximately, mm. and so my first experience of a councillor was we walked into a classroom, or it might have been the assembly hall, I can't remember, but it felt like a classroom. felt like having the teacher at the front saying, oh, not you again, get that strap ready. <laughs> well, that never happened to me, of course, but, uh, <laughs> but it was a bit different because I thought council was a very serious process and mm. certainly something where you're making decisions that were impacting people's lives, yes. but we're going to a classroom and sitting around, and I do remember <laughs> the public forum. And Hope you weren't doing spitballs. Again, <laughs> no, sort of nothing things. like that, but, <laughs> but the public forum, when you'd have 
the community and, and people sitting in the public gallery mm. and they'd come and present, they were within touching distance of you and it was just like you're sitting in the classroom almost beside some of these people and they'd be looking over you and you shoulder at the notes that you were writing away in there and what you were doing on, on the and there of course we're all it's very impersonal sort of way of sort of making decisions isn't well it? I, yeah. I found it very strange because yeah. it was just like you're sitting in a classroom and then when we finally got back into the council building I went oh right this is the council yeah, chambers this is what it's meant to be yeah. like there's the gravitas it's got it all feeling again there that's right yeah, yeah that's exactly right so anyway yes. they did the staff at the time I think did a fantastic job mm. in relocating and continuing the operations of council because it's not as if you can just say, oh, well, we won't have a council for six months. It'll mm. be okay. Mm. You need to have a council there. There's a whole range of things that we rely on every single life day. Life moves on, doesn't it? That's exactly right. Well, we had to make sure, or, or the staff at the time had to make sure life mm. could continue on and yeah. things could continue to operate. So, yeah, it's amazing how quickly time goes. But 20 years ago, mm. and people still talk about There's still staff there now who were there at the time who talk about what happened and the things it's they had to do. It's hard to believe it's been 20 years, though, hasn't it? Well, mm. there you go. And I want to start our discussion today in regards to uh, the pool. Now, there's a couple of pools in our region. We've got, obviously, there's Dubbo, there's Geary, and there's Wellington. Now, a number of years ago, the pool was always put out to tender for the management of these pools. And, um, you know, there's, I remember quite well, a guy by the name of Nick Wilson who used to run the Dubbo pool here. And But then, in recent years, council decided the fact that they didn't want to have uh, individuals out there running the pool in, in a private sort of scenario. They took control of the pools again. I'm reading here the fact that we're looking as though council is going to go back to putting the management, the operational management of the pools back out to a public tender. Is this the way council's thinking? Exactly right. And I don't know how long exactly it had been out to private organisations running the pool, mm. but it was at least 30 years that we know of. And Absolutely. in fact, if you talk yeah. to Richard Mutton, he said he moved to Dubbo initially because there was a gentleman named Mike Maguire who used to manage the pool. Right. And he came, Richard Mutton came to Dubbo to do some learn to swim lessons or work with Mike Maguire uh, okay. at the pool in, yes. in some formal capacity. Yep. So there was a process there and I thought the pool seemed to run fine in mm. my old capacity in Dubbo City Council days. There was a private contractor there. It seemed to deliver what we needed to do. The community seemed to be happy. The price seemed to be okay. Yep. Pools cost the community money, so that's never great, but it didn't seem a ridiculous amount of money. Yep. For some reason, not sure exactly why, I wasn't there at the time, but the last council decided to not have that going through an external process. And it used to come out for tender every mm. maybe four or five years. Yes, so you yes. go out and still go to the market on a regular basis to see what was out there in the market and then award that tender and continue on. Mm. But they decided to bring it back internally. And I remember at the time thinking that the real challenge for council there was you've got an operation that needed to be run for six months of the year at most. Mm. What do you do with your staff that you have for six months of the year the other six months yeah, of the year, that sounded complicated. Yeah, absolutely. Good question. And then I also thought that everyone you employ at council has to come under the local government award. Now, for people that are working at the pool, they're often starting very early in the day. They're working on weekends. The local government award is not great mm. for that type of flexibility around the different operating hours that mm. you might have to run. So I thought, well, it sounds like it's going to be more expensive and a little bit tougher to run when you're only doing it for six months of the year. And mm. what are those staff do the rest of the time? As it turned out... And when councillors, this new group of councillors were elected at the beginning of last year, they were well, at the end of 2021, but one of the things we discussed was the beginning of last year about the pools, and it was decided to leave it run for one more year. There was a lot of things we had to go and fix up and change and then have another good look at it. And so we've done that now. We've had a good hard look at all right. the information, all the data, right. all the figures. We believe it's more expensive running it internally than externally, 
And we believe that an external operator, for a whole range of reasons, could probably do a better job than yep. having our staff run it internally. So we're going to go out, and the technical process is we're going to go out and call for a request for proposal. So right. it's not a tender per se, because we want people to have a bit of flexibility in what they might offer. Now, the other tricky part is that we've got Wellington and Geary now, after mm-hmm. the Amalgamated Council. Yep. So the re- are, they, are they run by council as well? Correct. So okay. all three have been run by council, yep. essentially, since the change was made. And mm-hmm. I think, in, in fact, Wellington Shire Council probably still ran for some years Wellington and Geary Pools. It mm. may have had someone private running it before that. I'm not sure. Again, okay. I wasn't involved in Wellington Shire Council. But one of the challenges is that when you start to look at those three sites, then probably it's going to be a large national operator that's going to run those. And mm. that might be fine. Mm. But I still think there is potential value in some smaller organisations that are very local, embedded in those communities that mm. might be able to run it. So the request for some form of proposal will go out, which will give people the flexibility. You could put an option in just to run the Dubbo Pool or just to run Geary or just to run Wellington. Mm. Or you could say, I think I can run Wellington and Geary, for example, but I don't think I can run Dubbo. You could basically put in a proposal to say that I'll run one of those three or two of those three or all three of those three. What we'll then do is look at those proposals that come in and then make a decision on which way that will go. It Mm. may be one organisation that runs all three. Now, that might make it easier from council's point of view but is that going to be the best solution for the community? Don't know. We'll wait mm. and see what happens. But I think it's actually a good move mm. to get to the point where we'll go out again. And so the plan will be that from the next summer, so from the end of 23 through to 24, that summer will be run by a private organisation. And essentially the proposal... So, so basically then from the start of the, the next pool season, Correct. really, you're looking at doing that. So just to clarify a point, though, so right now, though, this this is coming from a standing committee. So it, this is a proposal being sent through to council. Is that right? You're spot on. you got the hang of this already. Oh, I'm you? starting to get it. Starting to get it. <laughs> so, so it hasn't been signed off just yet. It's got to be signed off still by council. But this is the proposal that's going to go to council at the next council meeting. So the recommendation from the committees, from the standing committees, which you, you've got the logic or the process there spot on, we don't make council resolutions yep. at the standing committees. So the recommendation from the standing committees to council, which will happen at the next council meeting. So that recommendation is to go and and do this. Okay. Now, there are some things that are fairly contentious in terms of the discussion that we have at council. This one seemed to be pretty much everyone. I think there might have been one councillor that voted against this proposal. So with that, it's probably going to go ahead in a similar version at council. But of course, that's only my opinion. I can't sure, say that because sure. there will be a decision made on the night yes. and no decisions are made before that particular point in time. According to the Local Government Act, we can't mm. make decisions until that council meeting. But that's where it stands at the moment. But the reason I like to talk about decisions from standing committee meetings or recommendations is it gives the community the chance to have their say. So mm. over the next two weeks before the next council meeting, anyone can pick up the phone and ring a councillor, send an email, yeah, right. communicate Fantastic. with councillors so and it, say... Again, oh, this, look, this you can do this online or you can just talk to your local councillors yeah. either way. yeah, Exactly right. And say, oh, I heard on the podcast that you're going to go out to private. No, I don't think you should do that. Or here's what you should do. Or here's a proposal, whatever it might be. So it's good to talk about it. And that's the beauty of the standing committees, not having delegated authority to yes. make council resolutions. It's got to go to a full council meeting for those recommendations to be formal mm. resolutions. So this stage, the recommendation is that the, the first contract period would start from the 1st of July 2023, right. but the reality is it wouldn't start till the pool season sure. opened. So they would officially be the tender for that financial year on. Mm. It'd be a five-year proposal. Typically, you might have some options for some further extensions on those. But essentially, 
we really want to hear what people have got to say in yep. terms of to get how some public they feedback now in regards to this. Public yeah. feedback, but then also once it goes out, those requests for proposal come in and say how they would run it. Mm. At this stage, the proposal is that small amounts of maintenance, maybe less than two thousand mm. dollars, would be done by the successful tenderer. Large maintenance, so for example. There's a crack in the pool and it's leaking 10,000 litres a day. Mm, mm. That's up to council to, yes. to still take care of the major maintenance, major any extra build you might have there would still be council responsible yeah. for. Oh, very good. How about a little, uh, next little point of discussion, I suppose, stands around uh, what's happening in regards to building here in town. Um, look, we've heard a lot about the rise in interest rates. I'm sure there's lots of our listeners out there right now have got their opinion on what's happening there. How here in our region uh, have we been affected by this? Uh, the council, uh, from the point of view with our building side of things, are, are our numbers going up? Have we got any recent figures that can sort of talk about where we stand in regards to building approvals? Yes and no. Okay. <laughs> They're clear. <laughs> if you look at residential, a few different approvals, and these go through our standing committee, so mm. there's a lot more detail in our business papers if someone wants to look at it. But the quick summary, if you look at our residential approvals and look at those on a year-by-year basis, back in 2015, fantastic year, must have been a wonderful mayor in place then. <laughs> in the, in Who the, was that? In the 2015-2016 <laughs> year, we had 488 residential approvals in total. Right. So Since that's that's across everything, isn't it? That's that's, that's basically going across residential dwellings, non uh, sorry, um, single dwellings and other residential right, dwellings. Right. Okay. Yep. 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 So if you then go forward, they've been lower than that every year since. Okay. This year, we're only up to April, obviously, yeah. and these figures go till the end of March. But if you extrapolate those out, taking those same averages, yeah. we'll have four hundred and forty. Approvals in yeah, total, wow. residential approvals So it's in getting total. very similar to those 2015 figures. That's right. But in between times, it did drop down as low as 210. Yeah, so wow. certainly wow, okay. it's, it's getting back up there now to be a reasonable figure. Now, again, that's going on the average that we're doing so mm. far this year. Mm. Just to throw a spin. So that's looking good. So mm. in answer to your initial question, yes, fantastic. Mm. Things are going up. Yep. All good news. But then if you start to break it down on a month-by-month basis – then if we look at March, we were down to only 18 approvals okay. in March. Now, that had been down, say, from February 34, right. January 33. So there were some figures even back September last year, 51. So it certainly dropped mm. down. Mm. Now, Did you think that's a sign of the, the current state of the economy, that approvals are dropping because of a rise in interest rates, like just from an economist's point of view? It could be, and mm. the Reserve Bank would probably be happy mm. if that was the case because obviously they're trying to get a slowdown in the economy. Inflation was getting out of hand. Mm. So it may well be that the Reserve Bank's getting what it wants and things will slow down, so we may not hit that 440 mm. for the year. It may well be an anomaly in timing. There might have been some various approvals being put in and we find that for whatever reason mm. the approvals didn't happen in March. Like historically, is March a slower month maybe or something I, like that I don't that think too. in particular slower, but it could just be suddenly April jumps up because yeah. some got pushed back for some reason from sure. March through to April. Yep. I think we'll have a clearer picture once we get some April and May figures coming through, for example. It could just be lack of tradies out there. It's hard mm. to get a tradesperson. Mm. Every trade yeah, you talk to seems to be absolutely flat out. Yes. Maybe they're putting more emphasis on commercial buildings at the moment rather than residential, so mm. it's not as important to get approvals through. 
it could be land availability, but I would say that's probably not the case because we've got council and some developers with a bit of land, a mm. bit of free land, not free, but a bit of available land at mm. the moment. So I, I don't think it's land availability, but that can sometimes play mm. out. There's so many factors there. Mm. I don't know mm. is the real answer as to why that's dropped in March. And I don't know you would know exactly why. You could make some estimations based on some of the things we've mm. speculated on. Mm. The thing for me is it's dropped. Is that going to continue to drop or is it just going to be That's a one-off right. blip? Is this the start of a new trend or is this a blip, as you say? Yeah, yeah and I'll tell you that in a month's time. That's right. Two it's months' time, of, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Once you get some more data. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The other part that's interesting is we looked at, at the number of total approvals. So those were residential we just looked at then. Yeah, yeah. The total number of all applications, and this is approved applications. This could be any commercial premises. There can be any little add-on, so mm. a garage or whatever. backyard sort of thing. And yeah. it also includes those figures we're looking at there before, if we compare year-to-date so far, last year, up to this point in time, we had 594 approved applications. This year, up to this point in time, we've got 614. Oh, wow. So that's so up as well. That's great. a small yeah, improvement yeah, yeah. there. And if we look at the total value, we talked about last year, $227 million yep. up to the same point in time. This year, $264 million. So that's, that's a, again, that's up. Is that, are there any major projects that could really have affected that extra increase in that, in that cost or the actual you know, cost of the building? There are different ones, and sometimes it does get thrown out a little bit. There might mm. be one particular application that's worth, we talked last week about one for $150 million. Yes, now, yes. that's not in these figures because that's not an approved application yet. Yep. But sometimes that does happen where you get mm. one application. I haven't got all the Could data. distort to the figure a bit maybe. Yeah. It can, okay. that's right. And I haven't got all the data to look at every individual of those 614 applications mm. to say there was one particular one. But it's just a, an indication. You're yeah. not going to go and base every decision you make on those alone but it's a good indication that things are going along quite strongly. And everyone that I talk to says anecdotally yes. that the economy is very strong. Now, I always say the plural of anecdote is anecdotes, not <laughs> data. But this is data. This yes. is not what I've given you there is not anecdotal information. No, this is the figures. This is data. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. what people are feeling out there in terms of a strong economy and confidence in the economy and growth in the economy, their feelings are backed up by some of the cold, hard data we've mm, got there. That's great. Now, Matt, Macquarie Conservatorium. Now, we've talked about uh, these guys in the past. Um, they're sort of thinking back in regards to uh, some of our initial discussions in regards to this. Now, they have to move out of their current premises. Um, that was our initial sort of discussion, the fact that they have to move out. Now, they've come to council, uh, I suppose, cap in hand, looking for assistance in regards to uh, where they can move to and what council can do to assist. I know there's been a lot of work being done behind the scene in regards to this. Um, I suppose first and foremost, is council obligated in any way, shape or form to assist Macquarie Conservatorium? There's no obligation. There's no nothing in the Local Government Act that says a council should support a conservatorium of music. And there are conservatoriums of music in mm. various communities around the, the state and many of those in regional areas. Yeah. It's a great thing for Dubbo and I remember when it opened there was a lot of fanfare and a lot of discussion around how good this was for the community of Dubbo that we had this level of musical education in mm. our community. Now in the mm. past I mean when I was at school the kids that were learning to play piano or guitar or whatever they'd have people come into the school or they'd go and have some private lessons somewhere so there was still music being taught but having a conservatorium of music made it easier to access that tuition so fantastic mm. for Dubbo mm. and the Department of Education typically provides a large amount of funding. They obviously get funding from students that have tuition as well. Yeah. The Department of Education gives them 
money to be part of that educational so, landscape. So for the listeners out there, so Macquarie Conservatorium, it's just the basis of this. They're a, a they are a privately run operation. Is that how they work, or is it they a not for profit organisation? Or they're not for profit. They've got okay. a board that is responsible for them. They obviously have a, a manager. I'm not sure what the exact title of the particular manager is, but someone that runs the organisation. And then they obviously have teachers. Yep. I know some people that have been teachers there in the past. They're typically casual teachers that have various students and obviously get paid a, an hourly basis mm-hmm. or something along those lines. To have Do they get funding from the Department of Education to help pay for their teachers? Is that how that works? So to give you an idea, last financial year, and these figures are all public, so okay. people can go and access this information on various websites, they received $441,587 from the Department of Education. And that's an annual payment. Yep. If you go back to the last few years, similar amounts, 435000 the year before, 427000 the year before. So Sounds like Incremental increases for the teachers. The it wages seems, and that seems sort of like stuff. that. Yes. So the Department of Ed says, "Here's a reasonable chunk of money for okay. you to provide the services." Then, obviously, it's responsible upon you as that organisation to go and then get students to pay fees to continue to be able to fund the overall operation. Right. The Department of Ed had given them a building to operate from, yep. and they gave them to that at peppercorn rate. So basically, a dollar a year yeah, right. to be in that building. They had to be responsible for maintenance, which normally if you had a landlord you're paying commercial rates to, mm-hmm. the landlord would be responsible for the repairs and maintenance. So if you look at their figures from last financial year, they paid $22,978 in repairs and maintenance. So twenty three grand, if you like. A nominal sort of figure, yeah, yeah. But so it's that, a that gives you an idea of the of sort of yes. rent they were roughly paying. It's not rent, it was repairs and maintenance, but if it was... Yep. Commercial rent they were paying, they wouldn't have been paying that. So they've been paying effectively twenty three grand a year, which is pretty cheap rent yep. for the building that they've had. What's interesting is I think your intro there is any obligation on council to provide for them? No. Would council like to see them still in our community? Absolutely. It's a yes. fantastic facility for yes. our community. There are lots of fantastic organisations for our community, lots of not-for-profits, lots of Charitable organisations, I don't want to name any because mm. I could name 10 off the top mm, of my head. Absolutely. But there'd be another 1,000, maybe not that many, there'd be mm. another 100. Yeah, absolutely, there's plenty out there, that's th- right. That yeah. are out there doing some that wonderful I'm sure work. would probably love council to assist them financially. Correct. And is there any obligation on council to assist all of those? Well, most of them, no. There might be some that we are obligated to assist, but in general, no. If we mm. think it's good for the community, we might do something. And we've done in the past, for example, things where we might assist them you know, short term. So we might give an organisation an interest-free loan because some not-for-profits have trouble mm. getting a loan from a bank. Yep. We might have... So council can do that. Council can give yeah, you know, that to, to people. Okay, yeah, right. the, yeah, the yeah. staff haven't got the delegated authority to go and give interest-free loans, for example, but councillors, and I know in the past, in, in my past time on council, I think the Bridge Club was one. I think we might have given a $100,000 okay. interest-free loan to the Bridge Club, repayable over, say, five years, and you don't pay interest along that mm. way. You, you just have regular repayment. So there's mm. a small cost to the community, but the councillor belief is that it's adding to the community and they may not have been able to access that money elsewhere. So they might not be able to improve their facilities and it's on council land anyway. So even mm. if the bridge club folds up, well, we've still got an improved asset. So there's mm. minimal risk to the community because again, it's not my money, it's the mm. community's mm. money and it, it adds to the overall community and the bridge club plays, pays it back. So, so that's potential. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you. There. So does the Department of Education have, speaking of this word obligation, do they have any obligation to the Macquarie Conservatorium to help them find a new building or a new premises to work out of? It's an interesting one. I'm not sure they're obligated either. Mm. They've certainly helped in the past by finding that building for them. They give them money each year. I think the board's probably had 
discussions, and I'm not on the board, so I don't know the intricate details sure. of those discussions, but I think they probably had discussions with the Department of Ed, and the Department of Ed may have said, we'll help you out, or they may have said, it's up to you to go mm. and find something. But ultimately, the responsibility for any organisation is the board that's running it, the committee that's running it, whatever it might be. I suppose the big thing here, they were, they were told many years ago they'd have to move out of that building. And so, obviously, if I was on that board, my number one focus would be, we're not going to have a premises to trade from soon. Mm. So mm. as with any business, if you've got no premises to trade from, it's a bit hard to continue to trade. So you need to go out and find somewhere. Now, I think they've been running a pretty good business. Mm. And So do you have some figures or anything? Like, are they a profitable business in that sense? A not-for-profit, but are they running in a scenario whereby they can continue to operate based upon what their current savings and income is? Well, looking at their figures, absolutely. So if we look at their figures again, this is to the 30th of June, 2022, so that financial year, mm. cash in the bank, one million and forty-three thousand dollars. Yeah, so right. One point oh four three million dollars. So, they've, so th- they've got that sitting in the bank, and they've done well over the years to build up that cash reserve. I look yeah. back at previous years, and you can see that cash reserve building up. Now they may be putting that cash reserve aside in case one day the Department of Ed stops funding them. Mm. But if they're getting four hundred forty-one thousand dollars from the Department of Ed and they stop funding them, yeah. gee, it's going to be hard to have a viable Absolutely. business for many yeah, years. So. Right. It almost doesn't matter how much money you put aside. If you're going to run at a loss of that amount each year, you're in trouble. Then you look at their current profitability. So the net profit for the financial year just finished, $100,899. So $100.9K, 100K if you like in profit. Mm. If you look back at the previous year, the 2020 to 2021 financial year, they had a net profit of $142,784. Yeah, right. So they're a profitable operation in that's that right. sense. Previous year, $138,000. Okay. So they're making good money, and that's good. That means they've got a, a good board, a good operation, they're mm. running a good Absolutely. business. Absolutely. All kudos to them for that. Exactly yeah. right. Yeah. And you, you want to see organisations out there mm, in the community. Indeed. Then when you have an organisation that's doing that, and they don't pay tax, by the way, because they're so not for profit. profit. They're structured in yep. such a way that they don't pay tax. So that $100,000 they made last year, for example, that's theirs to then put in the bank or mm. use or whatever you might do with it. So if they had to find a commercial premises that was, say, 50 grand a year rent, mm. then if they're making 100 grand a year, if oh, you had to pay 50 5% grand... 5% on six, fixed term deposit these days, there's, there's your interest. Well, go go back, sorry, separate from that, I'll go to that in a minute, but, but if you're making 100 grand and you're paying about 22 grand a year rent now, yeah. if you had to pay 50 grand... Well, you're probably only going to make seventy grand a year, hmm. but that's okay. You're not for profit. You're not trying to return a, a dividend to shareholders. No, you're no. trying to make sure you stay in the black because yeah. you want to make sure that some years you might make money. So you want to have a little bit up your sleeve. If you then had a new building that you needed to move into, you might need to spend some money on fit out. But hmm. you've got a million bucks that you've put away. Well done. Yeah. So you could probably this is go the rainy and do a day moment. Really, that's the way I see it. Well, that's right, and they could then probably put something in place yeah. that gave them a fantastic building. Now. One of the things that's interesting is they've got now, because it's gotten to the point where it's at the pointy end now, mm. they may have at maximum to the end of the year, they may be kicked out on the 1st of July from where they are, but they probably mm. will have to the end of the year. Mm. But no more than that, the Department of Ed really wants that building back. Mm. So they might need to find somewhere temporarily. And that's where council maybe can play a role. So our recommendation from the committee meetings to the council meeting yep. is two points. First one is that the CEO can go and negotiate with the Macquarie Conservatorium and find somewhere that's a council-owned building if need be, and they can lease that to them at a commercial rate. Yep. Maximum five years, because one of the buildings they're looking at is something that we might want to do something else with in the future, so we don't want it tied up for a long period of time. Mm. Mm. So what that's really signalling to the Macquarie Conservatorium is, 
you can probably find somewhere short-term to get you out of trouble while you find a good long-term solution. You've been looking for a few years, you haven't found somewhere mm. yet, but while you find a in good long-term interim, solution... We, we, we can help you in this space. That's yeah. right. And okay. I would recommend you probably don't spend a lot of money mm. on a fit-out on that if it's only a temporary building. Mm. The second thing we said to them is that to help you out in that, if you need to, we'll give you a maximum interest-free loan of $500,000, which is a fair sum of money. Absolutely. You've got to repay that over five years in equal instalments, so yep. You, yep. you don't wait five years and then give it all back. You've got to pay it off over time. Yep. So there's a cost to the community of that, a mm. small cost and a known cost because it's interest. If we've got that money there, it's interest we're not getting on that money. Yep. So there's a cost there, but again, that might help them out if they need to do a fit-out. Mm. Ideally, if I was sitting on the board of the con, what I'd be doing is I'd probably be going out and either finding a developer to build me a building that I wanted and then sign up a long-term lease with them so I knew I had a home for a long mm. term. Mm. Or if I wanted to spend some of that reserve, go out and find my own building, buy it and build it and borrow money if I had to and use some of that money yeah, that yeah. council might be offering to yep. lend to me. Now, that's, again, a recommendation. At the council meeting, there were still some councillors who were keen to subsidise the rent, so it may go differently at the council mm, meeting. Mm. We've got a meeting lined up with the chairperson of the Macquarie Conservatorium to have a further discussion. Yep. But some councillors, and there was a really interesting debate at the standing committee meetings, some councillors were really still keen to subsidise rent, maybe give them somewhere that's a council building and cut the rent in half, for example. But one of the, the concerns that, again, I'm talking about the debate on mm. Thursday night, one of the concerns there is that every dollar we give to them in any form of subsidy or rent, relief, whatever it might be, mm. is a dollar that's an extra expense to council we didn't have previously because we haven't given the conservatory funding previously. Yep. So if we give them $1, that's $1 of extra expense. And we're trying to really focus on our finances at council mm. and make sure we run a very efficient operation. So every dollar we spend is a dollar we didn't have to spend before. Yep. So that adds to our expenses. But also it means if we spend, let's say we gave them some rent relief and we gave them $35,000 a year, well, we talked previously about a pothole in Boundary Road that was going to cost $25,000 to fix, and we said we can't do that yet. We're down to the finances. So $35,000. dollars got to be justified, doesn't that's it? Right. That, that's yeah. another pothole we could fix somewhere yeah. every year. Yeah. So every expense. And again, at a $200 million budget, you might think $35,000, what's it matter? But it's every 35000 and that's what this well, council Well, there's plenty of other groups out there, again, who are happy to turn around and say, you can give me $35,000. Well, that's right. Every other organisation that might provide good services to the community Absolutely. might say, yeah, yeah. well, you gave them thirty-five grand of rent relief. Can you go and mm. buy a building and give me thirty-five Absolutely. grand a year rent relief? Yeah. Or just pay me thirty-five grand for rent relief with my current developer, yeah. whatever it might be. So it does potentially open up a whole mm. Pandora's box mm. of other things that could possibly happen. So that's... That's a bit of the concern, and that's mm. some of the concerns that councillors have. I don't know where it'll end up. Like I said, we've got a meeting plan. We've got mm. another council meeting to make a final resolution on that. Mm. We don't want to lose a conservatorium. No, no, no. But I don't want people to think if something does happen and it doesn't continue on its operations that council is to blame because council is not the board of the conservatorium. No, council no. has not got an obligation to run them. If we can help out, that's fine. But Absolutely. it's our bottom line. But also, if I was on the board and I had a million dollars in the bank, and I'm making over 100 grand a year, as I have done for the last three years. Why would I be closing it down? Why would I even no, be this, contemplating? This is a proper operation. That's Absolutely. right. Why would I be contemplating closing mm. that organisation down? Because it's providing good services in the community. It is. And it's profitable with money in the bank. It sounds like mm. an organisation that you want to continue to run, regardless of what council does. Don't, don't hitch your future mm. to a council decision. You're a board of directors. You mm. make your own decisions about where that organisation right. is going. Absolutely. 
Uh, the old code of conduct, something that uh, in the modern world we're, we're all have to be aware of in regards to our space. Now, it looks like, uh, from what I can gather, that during the week there, there was a report given to a standing committee um, in regards to what's happening in regards to the code of conduct there in council with the councillors. So talk us through this. Is is this something that um, you've just been given an update in regards to if there's been any uh, code of conduct claims placed against councillors or is it a, looking at maybe adjusting the way this is being reported or what's actually happening here? So there is a procedure that we must do from the state government where we must report to the community and to the government how many code of conduct complaints were lodged during a year of council. So every 12 months we've got to do that. Councillors can go above that standard, not below that standard. We as a group said we'd prefer to know code of conducts that are lodged on a quarterly basis mm. rather than mm. an annual basis. Do you know, like, do you find out about the details of this or is this sort of just, you just get a figure? Maybe. Okay. It depends on what happens. Right. And so I'll go through it in a little bit of explanation. Mm. So we got our latest report in the April Standing Committee meeting yep. and it showed that in the third quarter of this financial year or the first quarter of this calendar year, January to March, there were two complaints received. Okay. Now, if we look back at this financial year so far, in the quarter, 1st of July to 30 September, mm. there were two complaints received and that cost the community $5,597. So, so that's, that's the legal side of it, is at the background? I'll get to the cost in a minute and explain a bit more mm-hmm. about that. In the next quarter, October to December, zero complaints received. Okay. In the first quarter, I mentioned this year, two complaints received. Now, there was zero cost associated with those two complaints. Two complaints in the first quarter cost us 5500 what happens is a complaint is lodged and it goes to the CEO. Unless it's about the CEO, then it would come to me. Right. A complaint's lodged, goes to the CEO. The CEO has a look at that complaint and makes a decision as to whether there may or may not be a case there for someone to answer. Now, these could be against councillors or against council staff. Okay. In reality, most of the time, they're against a councillor. Right. So the CEO looks at that and says, I think there might be a case to answer here. Not sure. I'll send it on to someone that's on our review panel. So we right. have people that are, we've got a review are panel. Are people who are employed by council? No, no, there's external, external people. You okay. can apply to be on a review panel. Often it's people with a legal background, maybe mm-hmm. some sort of local government background as well, but often a legal background. Yep. So the reviewer would then look at it. Now they get paid for that. Right. They get paid to analyse the initial information and then they make a decision as to whether or not it needs to go further and have a full investigation mm. or whether... I've had a review of it now, I've investigated a little bit, and I don't think it needs to go any further. Now, you might say there's a vested interest in someone mm. saying, take it further, because they mm. may well be engaged in mm. the further investigation. Yeah. Hopefully, they do it in a very fair yeah. and honest Objective way. way. Yes, yeah, that's hope- it. yeah, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I have no doubts there. I think they do do it in that way. So the $5,500 cost would, in my mind, probably be initial review without needing to go further. Right. So... In terms of whether we find out about them, myself as either a councillor or as the mayor, I don't find out about these code of conducts. Oh, okay. The right. idea is that unless it gets to the third stage, so the first stage, go to the CEO. Yep. Second stage, review potentially committee. go to yep. review or an individual review. Yep. Third stage might be the full investigation. Okay. Now, if the full investigation goes and it's determined from that that some action needs to occur, some reprimand, some apology, whatever it might be, Mm. that would then come back to council, as in the full group of councillors, 
the council or that's involved would obviously leave the room while mm. there was a discussion about that for some penalty for something to happen from that particular process. Mm. So that process, if it gets to there, yes, I'd find out about it and, and and I'd get some paperwork and say, oh, look at that, there was a complaint mm. lodged on Mark Barnes and here's the information mm. and here's again. the investigation, here's the witness, <laughs> yes. again, that's right, here's the witnesses, all the rest of it. Yep. But, for example, here, the two complaints received zero costs. What I can determine from that is two complaints were received and they wouldn't have been passed to the initial reviewer because there was no cost involved. Mm. So the CEO, there's obviously not costs associated with the CEO looking at those initially. I don't know who those two complaints are on. I don't know who lodged those two complaints. The reason they do it that way is, is that the code of conduct can be used as a political tool. Right. And if I'm trying to make you look bad, I go and lodge 20 spurious complaints every so month, every day. every complaint that anyone makes, I don't like the colour of Matt Dickerson's shirts that he's yep. wearing to council. That gets sent through and the general manager or the CEO looks at that and then makes a determination if it needs to go any further. So any type of complaint has to go through. Correct. Every complaint and, goes through. And that will be recorded as a number. So if I make 10 complaints a week about a councillor, again, colour of their hair, hmm. the way they do their tie, whatever, it doesn't matter how ridiculous they are, if you're a code of conduct complaint, I'm seeing this to you as a code of conduct complaint, I don't like the way that tie was done, hmm. then I get a report that says 40 complaints were lodged in that first quarter. I go, wow, what happened there? And, of course, the CEO... Can't say anything about them. Oh, really? So, so you, you'll never know from never that know. point of view. Wow, never okay. Know. So he would not tell me. Mm. I would not ask. If I did ask, he wouldn't tell me. Yep. So that's the process uh, when it's being done correctly. And yeah. I'm sure it's not always done correctly, but yeah. that's the process when it's done correctly. Again, I might or I would find out about it when it finally came mm. to a council meeting if it got to that point in time. Mm. So what we see from this financial year, in total, there have been four complaints. In total, it's cost $5,500. If I go back to the previous year, the 2021-2022 financial year, mm. I don't have the number off the top of my head for number of code of conduct complaints that were lodged, but I can tell you the cost was $154,066. Oh, wow. So obviously, yeah. and that's going back to the previous council, obviously okay. yep. some of those were through to a full investigation. Yep, absolutely. Some of those needed to be investigated much further than the initial review. Yep. So you would probably say from that there were some where there were some breaches mm. of mm. the code of conduct. So at this stage, what I can tell you definitely is this council had no breaches of the code of conduct. There's been an initial review for one or two of them, but okay. obviously wasn't determined to go further. So effectively no breach of the code of conduct and four complaints lodged. Reality is I'd rather see zero complaints lodged. And I'm not saying that to try and bully the community into not no. lodging a code no. of conduct. Anyone within their rights can go and lodge a code of conduct. But there is a process that occurs and a potential cost to council. And in my opinion, if you think someone's done the wrong thing, I would encourage a member of the community to talk, talk to that person. Mm. And if they think that mm. person's not listening to them, then I'd say, let's say it was a counsellor, I'd say, if you're not happy with some things that happen with counsellor X, then send an email to counsellor X, Y and Z and say, yes. I'd like a meeting with counsellor X and I'd like X, counsellor Y and Z to come along for that yeah, meeting A bit of mediation, well. you know, whatever the case may be. Or have, have a, a chat about it. Have a discussion about absolutely. it first. Absolutely, yeah, if, you, yeah. if you're not happy with it, if you think there's a breach there, send uh, an email to the mayor and say, can you have a meeting with counsellor X and myself and just talk about some yeah, things that have happened. Yeah. You've still got your rights to go on logic code of conduct, but yeah. sometimes it's a big sledgehammer to yeah, take care of so mosquitoes. you don't have to always go with a mallet. You no, know, you're right. So yeah. anyway, look, that's okay. There's no cost being incurred. It looks like councils are doing the right thing. From the community perspective, if you've got a problem, 
talk mm. to people. Absolutely. It's really, yeah. that sounds like life advice, doesn't it? But, it does. But, but, <laughs> it works. I'm not meaning it to be, but I think having a discussion mm. with those people, sometimes a counsellor will not even be aware that maybe the way they spoke wasn't appropriate or what they, mm. their actions weren't appropriate. So it's good for them rather than go through a whole process and months down the track mm. finally get to something where mm. there's a report that they can read and go, oh, wow, I didn't realise I did that. Yeah. Have a conversation. And as you say, like, you know, at the end of the day, if, if it's a serious complaint and there's a serious breach that you feel as those happen, we'll absolutely go through the process. But you also say the fact too, if you can, have a chat to a person. It makes a big difference. Now, Matt, the fluoride. We've been talking about this a little bit over the course of the, the last few podcasts. Uh, now, where are we up to now in regards to this? Uh, has there been any decision now formally made? Because I know it went out to tender. Uh, are we at the point now whereby we've secured someone to do and to do the fixing here of our fluoride in town? Finally. Finally. finally yes, you're some, guilty. Some here we progress. go. Okay. <laughs> We're seeing something here. And it has taken too long. Yeah. And I, I do apologise to the community. But is for is that. there a reason for this, though? Like, surely, it, I would think the fact people aren't sitting around on their hands on this, there, there's obviously a process that people have to go through. You're, you're absolutely spot on. And when we found out about it, we've talked about it before. I don't want to go over, you know, keep going mm. over the same old thing. But mm. uh, the middle of last year, effectively, we found out there wasn't fluoride in the water. We couldn't believe it. It had been. Some mm. period of time, some several years, where it hadn't been saying, that's right. in in the water, which was a terrible situation to have, and so then the process was: we talked to public works. How do we fix this problem? Let's go through a process. Let's get some documentation drawn up. Let's go to tender. So we said at the time, thirty June this year, we'd have fluoro back in the water, and we made that commitment. That's was our target, and that's yep. where we're aiming for. That was the goal, anyway, wasn't it? Exactly right. Now, obviously, there's a, a range of variables, but we believe that a year was enough time to be able to get this problem fixed and, and get this problem sorted. Mm. As it turned out, it probably wasn't enough time. Where we got to was we finally got the tender documentation out. Those tenders closed at the end of February. Now, I would have hoped that we would have made a decision very shortly after February, yeah. but when it comes to drinking water, not only have we had New South Wales Public Works involved in this process, right, right. but we've also had the Department of Planning and Industry and the and DPE water has also been involved. So there have been yeah. three different government departments. There's quite a few government bodies there working in towards one goal, isn't there? That's right. And, yes. and again, it's ultimately council's decision for the tender. So I know myself and a few other councils were saying, well, let's get the tender back to council and make a decision. But mm. until we had the stamp of approval from Public Works, we couldn't really bring the information mm. back to council. So finally, it came back to our standing committee meeting right. and we had the tenders there to, to look at, obviously all the discussion uh, and internal Sticking process. on this uh, standing committee, so can they make a decision in regards to a tender, the standing committee? This is the only thing they can make a decision okay. on. Right. So they do have delegated authority for tender. So this has now been officially signed off, we can say. It has. And, and there's a reason okay. for that. Actually, it's a good point you mentioned there. We've talked about it before. Standing committees make recommendations to council. Mm. Council makes council resolutions. Mm. Now, the reasons we do that is to make sure people have got the chance to have the discussion, be out in the public, come along to public forum, talk to their fellow, to their councillors, all the rest of it. Mm. With a tender, it's a bit different because you can't pick up the phone and lobby an individual councillor, mm, yes. that's against the rules in terms of a tender. So mm. if I've lodged a tender with council, I can't then ring up and say, come on, councillor X, this yeah, is a really yeah. good process here. Absolutely. You I'm the best person for the job. That's right. You yep. want to avoid those phone calls because you don't know what offers or mm. inducements might be made yeah, in those phone calls. So you can't talk to councillors. There's no point going through public forum because the reason you have public forum is trying to influence councillors. You can't have a tender come along to public forum yes. and start to yes. lobby councillors in yep. that process. Have all their supporters with them, so to speak. Yeah, right. yeah. And the, the tender decision is made based on all the information and the documentation. Mm. So essentially, 
that's one delegated authority that this council has given to the standing committee okay, meetings. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Yep. So, And also it means that you're not waiting for only once a month for tenders mm. to be decided upon. It's two times a month, every second Thursday and every fourth Thursday. So this tender brought to the standing committee meetings. Yep. There were three tenders for this, went through. There was a recommendation in there from Public Works. There was a whole range of information. We actually had a representative from Public Works along there who okay. was involved in that so we could ask a few questions and yeah, quiz them a bit further. Yep. At the end of all that discussion, obviously all that's confidential, the mm. other prices, etc., all confidential, mm. Mm. but the winning tenderer, which is public, is a company called TWS Evolution. Okay. Good name. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> now, so we've, we've basically awarded the tender to them. Right. There's still some sign-off work for some of the final documentation to occur by New South Wales Public Works and by the Department of Planning and Industry. So even though we've awarded the tender mm. and said, go for it, they can't actually start until those two government departments actually say it's okay for them to start. We're happy. Can with I just what ask you, who coordinates all of this from council's point of view? Like, I, I would hate to have that job, to be honest. <laughs> that well, sounds like a fun one. Not. We've, we've got our staff involved in this, but mm. also because we engage New South Wales Public Works, they've been running point, if you like, on a lot of this. But oh, okay. So they, okay, right, okay. Makes ultimately, sense, yeah. we've because they've got more expertise, but ultimately, mm. it's still council staff and councillors that make the final decision on all of that. Mm. So with all of that, the tender was for an amount of $1.192 million. Okay. And that may explain part of the reason why the last council decided to do nothing. Because mm. we've got to find that outline. money. Yes. That's, that's out of budget expense. It's not as if you budgeted for a mm. failure in the fluoride dosing system. Mm. So as an out of budget expense, it may well have been a decision by mm. the previous council sure. to say, we'll just look the other way, pretend it didn't happen because we don't want to go and find $1.2 million. Mm. I don't think we've got a choice. No. We, we, in fact, we don't. We're in breach of Well, we the, talked about this before, didn't that's we? That's right. We're yeah, in breach of the relevant yes. act if we're not putting fluoride in the water. So yeah. we have to. So we just have to find the $1.2 million to actually do that. Yep. And it might just mean some other works that we might have been doing uh, need to be put off to a, a later time frame. Mm. So we'll go and do that. The new time frame now, and again, I, I say this with a slight hesitation, slight degree of caution, because we haven't got the final sign-off from Public Works and DPI yet, but... Assuming that goes to plan, we'll have fur in the water now by the end of November. Okay. So, okay. so, so later so than I would have liked. Potentially the best scenario now is, is November. Not the end of June. So I apologise to the community for that. There's a process. I think you've explained, though, why this right. And we've got to get through. it right. Is yeah. the bottom line. Oh, absolutely. We don't We're want to rush no. something like this. So That's right. end of November, we'll have fur back in the water again. Oh, fantastic. Now, Matt, I, uh, on the weekend, of course, I was down there doing my uh, slow plod park run. Uh, you, of course, like the, uh, the rabbit out in front there scooting along. But there's that section there on part of that park run which has been eroded away, and we've all sort of seen that on the track of Riley Track. Um, it's been blocked off there now for a while, and um, it's obviously for obvious reasons people can't walk along there because we don't want to see people sort of suddenly being caught up in some sort of erosion slipping away. It looks as though, though, the council's finally made a decision in regards to what you're going to do with this section of the track. Um, so what's, what's actually happening here? Are we, are we completely blocking this area off, or what are we going to do? So you remember the soil conservation report from 2018 that talked about various parts of the river and erosion. I, I remember it personally. Yeah. Uh, yes, I have to do a bit small reading on that one, I think. <laughs> and, and we've talked about that before because the Bell River, where it joins the Macquarie River, yes. one of the recommendations in the report was to do something about that because erosion would occur. Mm. And now we've got the Duke of Wellington Bridge, which is accessible. Yes, absolutely. That's right. that so one. that yes. same report talked about some other areas of the river, including this particular section you're talking oh, about so there. So that same report did this as well. Okay. Correct. Now, it didn't yep. have 
the area just past the the bridge, the Tenworth Street bridge there, mm. it didn't have it as high a priority as the party in Wellington. But I don't want to make the same mistake the last council mm. made and not mm. do anything. We've got the report. We've seen some erosion occur. What, what can we do about, about it? it? That's yeah, right. Yeah. And now that we aren't in floodwaters, if you're going to do something about it, now's the time to do something about it. Mm-mm. So I was very conscious, and certainly the rest of the council was very conscious of doing something about it. And as we've talked about before, the last council said, oh, we had a workshop on that, but a workshop doesn't make decisions. Mm. A standing committee doesn't make decisions. If you want to make something happen, if you want to take some action on anything, mm. then you need a council resolution to do that. Mm. So we had information from Soil Conservation Services and a bit of an update on that erosion that's occurred. Now, the belief from Soil Conservation Services is that after that latest bank fell into the river, yes. they believe that as the water comes through there from the bridge and as it goes around the corner – it's unlikely for further erosion to occur. Okay. Unlikely, it's an interesting word, that word, unlikely. That's isn't right. It? Yes. Unlikely doesn't mean that it's okay. not going to stand up in court, unlikely. Probably not. So our staff have looked at it further and had some further discussions. And so at the moment, we've got the track there. There were some barriers put up. Unfortunately, those barriers mm. seem to have been removed by mm. people. I noticed or, that. They seem to be flattened down a bit. Yeah, or end up in the river or all mm. sorts of things there. Mm. I'd like to think it was the wind blowing those Absolutely. in the river. But yes, I don't yes, think that's yes. the case. But People that have been abiding by those barriers have been going around the trees on the sporting field Mm. side. Like those good park runners do every Saturday morning. Exactly right. Spot on. So the decision by or or the recommendation by our staff has been to make that permanent around as you go around those. Okay. And then with discussions with Soil Conservation Service, basically if you revegetate where the path is now, that will give that whole bank a bit more strength. And okay. so yeah. the but unlikeliness the of the plants help support right. the bank. Okay. The unlikeliness yeah. of that bank falling away further is now more unlikely again mm. when mm. you've got something to support that. So when you've got a bit of that vegetated buffer, if you like. So mm. the decision basically is twofold. One, move the path further away from the edge to make it safer. So if something does happen, yep. well, then people aren't on that edge. The second part is with that revegetated buffer, you might just have a bit of extra strength in the bank mm. to mm. prevent something happening. Now, I did declare a conflict of interest at the committee meetings. Did you because know? I did, because the proposal is not just to make that a crushed granite path as it is at the moment, but to actually make that a concrete path. Oh, okay. And the reason for that is that as the floodwaters come down there at reasonable speed, because there'll be another flood again there one yep. day, yep. a concrete path is much more resilient Crushed granite, obviously mud, etc. washes over. Yeah. You can so where's your conflict away. of interest? Well, I did actually say that with a concrete path there rather than crushed granite, I think my park run time will be at least a second or two faster. <laughs> so I just thought I'd better declare a conflict of interest in the fact that... You may be faster. I'll tell you now, I won't be. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I might run a faster park run time because of a decision oh, that's made yes, by yes, council oh, oh, yes. to put a concrete path in that yeah, section there. There's a scalded cat shooting along there. There he is. There's our mayor. <laughs> that's right. So you'll see a, a two and a half metre width path there. Okay. It'll probably be six months before that's constructed and, and done. Mm. Again, it's not a council resolution yet, but that seems like that's the way council... That's proposal going to go forward to the next council meeting. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So people can feel confident then walking along there. They're far enough away from the bank. They're unlikely to end up in the river. Mm. That bank will have a bit more strength and the concrete means that as floodwaters come up when it goes down, mm. the path will be able to be used again oh. much easier. Well, let's hope that that concrete path increases my park run time as well. Didn't really start during the week, mate. You went out and uh, with a number of the councillors there. I'm not sure it was every councillor, but it potentially could well have been out there to visit uh, some of uh, Dubbo's finest um, in regards to the livestock markets and the sewage treatment plant. 
Would you all go around and have coffees and croissants looking over the top of those sewage plant outlets? Like, what happened there? I'm not sure how much the coffee would have uh, been affected <laughs> by the smells there. So why did you go to these places? Is there a particular reason? One of the real challenges and one of the things that I found fascinating when I first got onto council is trying to, or the challenge is trying to understand all the different parts of council, different operations of council, because mm, okay. there's so much stuff that council does, so many yes. things that we've become involved in over the years, and yes. it's hard to keep track of all that. Now, I did say when we first got elected, I've certainly had an advantage in the fact that I've been there before, I've seen a number of these parts of the operation, I'm learning about parts in Wellington, mm. but we've got a number of new councillors, so I did say to the CEO, one of the things I'd like to see is us getting out and various inspections on various parts of our facilities. So did you take all the councillors out with you? They're always invited. Anything yeah. like this happen, they're always invited. And we did this at a very early morning start, 6.30am, we said to councillors, be out at the livestock markets for a 6.30 start. Because most of these guys have other jobs too, don't they? Correct, and that's part of the challenge is yeah, yeah. you've got your normal job to do. They do take leave at various times throughout the year anyway. Mm. Even our council briefings, they normally start at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, so you haven't get some time off work to do that. Mm. So it's a challenge for them to juggle their normal job and still be a councillor. But we thought at 6.30 start, you've probably got enough time to get out there, mm. look over the facilities and then still get back to your normal mm. job. Mm. And the majority of councillors turned up, so it was good. Mm. We did take a nice inspection around with our noses blocked around the, the livestock markets. <laughs> but again, just understanding how yeah, those operate. Yeah. I mean, there's probably somewhere in the vicinity of $60 million that that injects into our economy. It's massive, isn't it? It's responsible yeah, yeah. for about 307 indirect jobs in the community. Mm. So it's a great facility for Dubbo. A big part of the overall operation of Dubbo, isn't it? Yeah, Absolutely right. And mm. council owns it. We don't need to own it. Council does own it and we yeah. run it in conjunction with some other organisations. So, yeah. And we're actually looking at that. We're looking at all of our operations of council at the moment. Okay. We're looking at exactly how they run, all business this operations. Is all part of a, a general review? or Absolutely right. Okay. Getting our heads wrapped around how things are operated, and that was part of the pool that we talked about before, mm. how they're operated, and really just understanding if there are ways that we can run them more efficiently, better for the community, better outcomes for the community. Mm. But it's all good to sit around and look at spreadsheets, mm. but getting out there and looking at the operation and mm. walking around with the cattle and just seeing... I actually like being at the sales. I've been to a number of sales, and I just think it looks like organised mayhem. Yeah, it just yeah. organised chaos in the space, isn't it? That's right. A yeah, bit like that, and I yeah, just find yeah. it incredible that anyone knows what's going on. They're yeah, keeping I, track yeah. of things in some way, shape, or form. So yep. that was good. But then while we're out there near there, that's on Boothenbar Road, just across the road and down Boothenbar a little bit, is mm. our sewage treatment plant. Mm. And that's a fascinating facility as well. Oh, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> <laughs> there, there are tours. You can take students oh, out there. Okay, I'll be lighting up, to. I'm sure. Absolutely. <laughs> now, I've actually been a little bit involved in that over the years because we had the original sewage treatment plant. Mm. I went out and some tools on that initially. But then our last council, Dubbo City Council, spent a lot of money, maybe $25 million from memory, wow. on upgrading okay. that facility yeah. to mm. basically cater to a, a growing population. So I remember we were out there during the construction of different phases there. Mm. And then when it was finally opened, there's still a little plaque with my name on it out there from March 2016 when mm. it was officially opened. So it was good to get the councillors to go along there as well. And that's got a different smell to the sale yard. I'm sure it does. But still a smell. Mm. <laughs> Definitely yeah. a smell. <laughs> I don't see, think you'll see it in Pierre Cardone, uh, sort of a special or anything. It's not a, yeah. a perfume they're going to come out with anytime <laughs> soon. But even that, see, one of the things that we do with our treated effluent when it comes mm. out the end of the process is we, and it was a decision before I was on council, it was a decision made back in the late 90s or early 2000s, where what we do with the treated effluent is we take it off to a property called Green Grove. So council, okay. the community, yeah. owns a property. What, we own like a farm? We're farmers. Oh, we're farmers. So we've got something out, that. out there that we take that treated effluent to and we've got centre pivot irrigations. I right. think there's probably five or six. It's been a few wow. years since I've been out to that That's property. It's a big farm. It's a big farm. We have cattle. 
We Do actually we? have cattle grazing. <laughs> Again, I didn't realise this. That's right. Where, where is our farm? Out, I refer to our farm. I'm a citizen of Dubbo. I'm, it I'll is. lay claim. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's out in the Gilgandra Road. Okay. And so we take – in fact, there's three places we take Trillard Effluent to. One is to that farm. Hmm. There's another farm not owned by council further out past our farm, which right. we take some Trillard Effluent to. And then Fletcher's Abattoir, we take some oh, okay. Trillard Effluent to yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. So, again, for councillors, some councillors said, well, hold on, a farm? Hmm. No one told me about a farm. No, no. one told me that – we're growing or fattening cattle yeah, to take yeah, to market. Yeah. Where have I seen those figures that on the our? Where, where that's that right. Sit? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and again, it sits in in a two hundred million dollar budget. Yeah. There is yeah. obviously those figures are sitting there in the operations of the sewage treatment plant. Yeah. But no, we haven't got an individual line item that says five cattle sold this month yeah, or, or right. this year, yeah, whatever yeah. it might be. But again, this is the advantage of going around mm. and looking at our various operations and learning about them mm. because you learn things like the fact that you got cattle farm. and farms and yeah. that sort of stuff. Yeah, and, yeah. and again, it was a bit controversial at the time. I remember reading about it again. I wasn't on council, but I remember there being a bit of debate on council about the whole process around Green Grove. Should we take that? Should we just pump it back into the river? Is there something else we can do with the water? Should we treat it to a high enough standard that we can then drink it again? Mm, mm. All those sort of decisions. The mm. council made the decision at the time, and okay. we've continued on with it for the last 20-odd years yeah. because, again, it seems like it's the best outcome. That may change in the future. Who knows? Yeah, but yeah. at the moment, yeah, it was a really good experience and I think really well attended by councillors because they're really still keen to learn about the council operations. Oh, that's fantastic. And Matt, it looks like there's been a bit of a road closure. Uh, just sort of quickly for our listeners in regards to it, um, the old Mandoran Road. Now, it appears to have been a section of this as it appears to have been closed. Just uh, two quick little questions here. Where is it and, and why did we need to close this? So if you go out the Golden Highway and you get to the intersection where the railway line and Boothenbar Road is all there in one little part together. Right, yes. There's Old Mandurin Road that goes through there, and it kind of makes a little triangle of a parcel of land there. Okay. Now, where Old Mandurin Road, so it goes from the Golden Highway across to Boothenbar and then continues out in a somewhat northerly direction. Mm, mm. At that intersection there where Old Mandurin Road joins onto Boothenbar Road, mm. you can roll through there and there's a railway line on the other side of the road there. Mm. There's a giveaway sign there, but you can roll through there. And there have been some accidents there, including... Oh, has there? Okay, right. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately, yeah. two fatalities. Yeah, right. And okay. part of the reason there is because you can roll through there, and there's a fairly acute angle if you were driving along there towards Dubbo on Old mm. Road. Mm. If you looked over to your left, there's a road, Boothman Road comes along, but it's not at a 90-degree angle. It's a fairly acute angle, mm. Mm. and it's a bit hard to get your neck twisted far enough to actually see there. Yeah. So I think that's been the main reason for some of those accidents. Okay. So for safety reasons. It was a decision made by the last council to yeah. close a section of Old Mandurin Road there mm. that goes from Booth and Bar to Golden Highway. It didn't happen mm. for whatever reason. I'm not quite sure why. So once this council came along, there was a resolution on the books to close it down. Mm. So we started going through the process and take some action there. Now, it's a bit of a process. The Golden Highway is a state highway controlled by the state government. Mm -hmm. You've got a railway line that's controlled by a different organisation. Right, yes, So yes. you've got those two parts, and Old Bandurin Road is a local road controlled yes. by council. So when we're making changes there, closing down the road, we don't just put a couple of barriers up and say, that's it. You've We've got to got talk a... to all these other parties as well. Exactly right. Oh, and there's also, to make yes. it more complicated, a state forest in there and a farmer in there we still oh. have to get access <laughs> to the farm. Something that seems so simple is not so simple. That's right. So mm. we've, we've closed it down for now, that's it. Okay, so it's officially closed now? Uh, actually, no, that's not quite right. I think the 20th of April is when it officially closes. Okay. So almost closed, yep, yep. so not far away. But that's step one. Mm. 
we've still got to do a bit more work on the actual intersection because it's still got that acute angle, even though it now will be a decision, decision you have to turn left or right, mm. you can't roll through, so people will slow down more anyway. We want to change that so it ends up being a 90-degree intersection. Okay. But again, we've got a bit more work to do with the property, the, and it's owned by the state government. Yep. On the left-hand side of the road as you're approaching towards Dubbo, we need to get a bit of that land so we can change the intersection yeah, a bit. So okay. we've still got a bit more work to do yet, yep. but for the moment, at least that other section is closed off, as I said, from the 20th of April. Okay. And from there, then again, it'll be, um, I suppose, safer. And the reality is it's one of those things that you just take care of some little things just to make the community better overall. Absolutely. Now, it looks like during the week uh, you got to switch a switch. <laughs> <laughs> Turning on the lights. Turning on the lights. Now, you know, I, I don't want to sort of sound facetious about this because this actually is a, a quite a major project. This is the Dubbo Harness Club, and it looks like uh, down there at uh, centre of town where we have the, the harness racing track, there's been some serious work that's been done, um, and you got the job to officially turn on the new lights. Yeah, the so ceremonial. Talk, the ceremonial. The did, you get, did you get to wear the robe and the... The whole lot for I that? didn't do that, but didn't I, do that? I did say to some of the tradies who had done the job, I, I said, I hope they've been turned on before. I hope this isn't the first time we're turning <laughs> them on. And they assured me that they've done We've had a practice the, run. all right, Matt. We're all good. Unofficial testing. The unofficial unofficial testing. turning of the lights previously. Yeah, excellent, excellent. Now, this is one of those great projects that it's yeah. a council facility. So the yep. showground is owned by the council, by the community. So it's, it's our responsibility. And the project here involved mm. approximately $0 from council. I okay. love those projects. Yeah, absolutely. Have we more of those. $168,000 came from the state government. Right. And, and sorry, I should clarify, when I say we own the showground, it's a piece of crown land that we're responsible for. Right, so, so you manage sort of thing. We manage it, yeah. yeah. So we're not, for all intents and purposes, we use it like we own it, but we couldn't go and sell it off tomorrow. If we right, think. okay. Yep. Yep. So, yep. so we manage it, we control it, we run it, we're responsible for it. It's a piece of crown land the state hmm. government effectively owns. So okay. under the Crown Reserves Improvement Fund from oh. the last state government, we've got that $168,000. So our local member, Dougal Saunders, was there with me to turn on the lights. So Excellent. that was good. But the Dubbo Harness Racing Organisation also contributed $302,000. Oh, well done. So it's That's a, a significant figure for the Harness Club. It is. You're absolutely spot on. So it's a significant project, obviously yeah. $470,000 or thereabouts, yeah. to do that. And this is for the LED lights. If you look at the track from basically each Bend yes. as you go. If you're looking at from the main grandstand, looking yep. in an easterly direction, you've got no lights along the track along the main straight, and then you've got lights on poles all the way around mm. the track from mm. the first bend round all the yep. way around the back straight, around the last bend. Yep. They've all been upgraded to LED lights. Now, the first thing you're going to say to me is $470,000 with a gold plated LED lights. That's a lot of LED lights. <laughs> well, part of the problem was that. The upgrade was really about the wiring, the underground wiring. Oh, okay. This had been done a long time ago. Yes. And they'd actually done it where they just direct laid the cabling. So no oh. conduits. So so for in layman's terms, for all of those listeners out there thinking, what does direct lay mean? So you take your electrical cabling that most people are familiar with, they've seen electrical yes. cabling. Yes. And you put it in sand directly in the ground. So you don't actually put it in conduit. Oh, it's right. a cheaper way to put yeah, yeah, cabling okay. in. Yep. But of course, in the future, when you might need to do something, upgrade that, change it, mm. there's some problems with it. Mm. You can't just drag some new cabling through conduit. No. You've got it directly laid in the ground. So you've got to then do some major work mm. to make any changes. So it's cheaper to do in the first place, mm. but maybe long-term not yeah. as good. So part of this project, or part of the problem they've had in the past is sometimes they've had harness racing going and the lights have gone out. 
Oh, really? The cabling is at the stage where... It doesn't work very well when you've got SkyTap or whatever sort of running. No, when you've, yeah, when you've yeah. got the Major TV, event, you've got broadcast across the nation, and then, oh, yeah. well, it's going to end Dubbo. Yeah, yeah. doesn't doesn't really reflect very Dubbo. well on Dubbo either, does it? <laughs> no, it doesn't. So the part of the process here was upgrading the cabling yeah, to have something okay. that's more reliable and basically getting the stage where upgrade of fuse boxes, upgrade of mm. the electrical infrastructure. Mm. Now, mm. that wasn't necessarily required to put the LED lights in, mm. but it made sense if you're going to put mm. LED lights in and it's still going to potentially turn off mm. randomly. Yeah, that's right. Well, what have you achieved? So the project was much bigger than just LED yeah, lights. Yeah. So underground catering, they had to underbore across the track because that track down there is in magnificent condition. Yeah, yeah. And if you're going to trench it and getting it back to be the same you know what it's like when you dig any trench. Mm. It's never quite the same when you fill it back in and no, do it, no matter no, how right. much attention you pay to detail there. So yep. they underboard across the track. Wow. And then they basically trenched in Norway across the, the middle of the showground. Another fuse box across the other side. Cabling in conduits this time. Mm. Mm. So you've got basically renewal of all of that and then LED lights. The lights that are on the grandstand that light up effectively the main part of the yep. track, the main straight, they weren't upgraded. There just wasn't enough money in the budget to do that. Probably another two hundred grand is needed for that, oh, right. and okay. that's probably another part of a project they'll work towards yep. in the future, where they try and get some more money off the state government, mm. where they try and raise more funds themselves, etc. But a good project. Oh, well done, Dubbo Hearts Club, and, and good to see the state government involved in this again. Good to see council paying nothing yeah. to have some upgrades yeah. on our infrastructure. That's a win-win. All right, Matt. It's that time of the week. We're up to the limerick of the week. Now, Matt, we've got a very, very busy little program here today. We're about to get a lot through. So I'm very interested now to sort of to see and to work out what area of focus are you going to work on in regards to this week's Limerick? Yeah, it's a very good question. And one of the things in relation to the Limerick, obviously, is I try and pick on something that's happened during the week. Yes. And there was so much that happened during the week. I know. It's been very, very congested. There's a lot of stuff going on here. So which way are we going to go? Who, who have you chosen? What area? Well, I did struggle a little bit, but... I thought the tour to the sewage treatment plant was something, I'm not going to say it's a highlight for councillors, but they won't forget it easy. <laughs> seeing raw sewage That smell, come, is it? Well, pick out that shirt again, the, you'll never forget it. The Absolutely. visuals, seeing that raw sewage come mm, in mm. and then be To all treated, those listeners out there, I'm sorry in advance. I hope you're not listening <laughs> to this in breakfast time. So my limit this week is about that particular Wonderful. Visit. Looking forward to it. Councillors arose in the early morning light keen to inspect the sewage treatment site. Our steps were cautious and true. We managed to avoid the poo while always keeping our noses held tight. Oh, Matt, I have to say it. That was crap. No. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Good on you, mate. Well done. I'm glad to see you've managed to sort of to pull in all of those uh, wonderful extra substances that come out of us and to bring it into a limerick form. That's, that's well done. All right, folks. Well, listen, that's the end of our this week of our Merrill Memo. We wish you all the very best for this great week. And to all our Greek listeners out there, happy Easter. It is your Easter time this week. Until next week, take care. Meryl Memo with Matthew Dickerson from Dubbo Regional Council.